You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Robert Schneider, and welcome to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast, a companion piece to the Routledge Press publication, 50 Key Stage Musicals, which is available for purchase by going to routledge.com or clicking the link below in today's show description. Today's episode focuses on chapter 49, Hamilton. And with us today is the author of that chapter, Jerome Stevenson. Professor Stevenson is an instructor of performance at the University of Oklahoma and serves as adjunct theater faculty at Oklahoma City and Oklahoma Universities. His numerous directing credits include Hairspray, Green Day's American Idiot, Crowns, and The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. In addition to a variety of work in radio, television, and film, Professor Stevenson was the recipient of the 2018 Oklahoma Governor Arts Award for Community Service. Professor Stevenson, I am so happy that you are joining us today. I'm so thrilled to be here with you. It's, a, it's been a long time coming, so I mean, I'm really excited about what we're going <laughs> to what we're going to create now. <laughs> I love it really has. It has been a long time coming. You're yeah. you're one of our last episodes. So I'm I'm happy that you're here. So Professor Stevenson, I'm going to start off with the, with the big Please, question. Please just start with is, Jerome. Let's make that the first Okay. Let's just start All right. with Jerome. <laughs> All right. Jerome, um why is Hamilton considered a key musical in your opinion? Wow. In my opinion, there's so many things to that. I think primarily because this was one of the first uh, real successful blendings of these uniquely American cultures of the American musical and American hip hop. Um, mm. We take this musical style and we bring it to the forefront and we bring it to audiences that are not um, unique to this music. This, this is an American musical and about an American figure and, and, and therefore the audience had to be broadly American. And so you, it's, it's unique when you see the show and you're watching it in a completely diverse audience that is listening to references from from George Hamilton uh, George Washington and Alexander Hamilton but at the same time listening to reference from the notorious BIG and 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 Mob Deep and this is sort of what makes it so fundamentally unique for the American musical but I also think one of the things that makes it key is that we take this idea of the American um, the American founding and we place it in the hands of different storytellers, right? Um, we're talking about people of color. We're talking about women. We're talking about this is not a story that is being told through the same lens as 1776. And it gives, it gives a diverse audience a sense of ownership over this great American experiment, which is, which is pretty extraordinary. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's had such a fundamental effect on audiences and not just here, but abroad. Mm. Now, you know, on paper, it feels like this is a show that shouldn't quote unquote work, right. which is they're <laughs> going to take the story of a, a pretty obscure figure from the American history books. I, I'm going to be honest with you. The only reason I think I know Alexander Hamilton was because of the Got Milk commercials. Yes. Um, yes. That's that's the only reason I think. And I, I majored in political science, so I feel pretty bad about saying <laughs> well, that. Yeah. Um, so it, it takes that and it's going to use um, a musical idiom that is not at all familiar to a majority of the new quote unquote New York theater going audience. Mm -hmm. So then why does it work? Why does this thing that looks like on paper it shouldn't succeed succeeds brilliantly? Oh, that, that's I think that's a really interesting question. And, and, and as I've 
dug into the show and spent a lot of time listening to it, obviously when I was writing the chapter, but, but even prior to that, I was sort of a fan of the idea of the original Hamilton mixtape when they were, were just mm. sort of fleshing out the first act and sort of figuring out that this could be done musically. Um, I think Lin-Manuel has a real interesting way of bringing audience in, even if they're not caught up. Um, mm. And, and what, what I mean by that is if you listen to um, uh, In the Heights, I'll use it for example in the beginning, right off the top of the show, he sort of finds a way to talk to both audiences. We've got this bodega owner who is essentially rapping um, with this Latin beat in the background, but he immediately says, you can take the A train. And the audience goes, hey, I know that reference. That's something I recognize. Even though he's rapping, he's, he's brought us into this. I think a lot of that happens with Hamilton in the same way. He finds ways, uh, whether they're, they're, they're big ways to sort of introduce us to a culture through things that we already know. We, we talk about the founding father. We talk about the, uh, the, uh, the five, what is it, on the, uh, the $10 bill. So he's already sort of establishing a language that we understand, even if it's through a medium that we're not familiar with. Now, you blend that together with the fact that he is also referencing things that are unique to hip hop culture. So when you get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, it's the 10 dual commandments. Well, many of us will recognize that as a Biggie Small song mm -hmm. from years and years ago. And we're going to go, whoa, what just happened? That's not supposed to be happening in a theater. We shouldn't be sitting here. It should be very, um, you know, Guinevere or at the yeah, end of yes. Camelot. It should feel very much like, you know, where we have to keep ourselves from nodding off or, yes. or, 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 you know, men sitting in the audience going, I don't understand why they just start singing out of nowhere. Here, <laughs> he's saying everybody's welcome. And I've got a little bit of a little bit of a way to bring anybody into the fold if they're willing to suspend their disbelief, which is what theater is supposed to do. Right. So the audience knows their contract. Um, and it's just a matter of will they buy in? But I think, thankfully, he's done such a good job of making sure we reference from all across the spectrum. I and mean, we, we've got Beyonce and Destiny's Child being referenced. We've got um, hip hop records being referenced. We've got the Beatles being referenced and, and King George. And so there's all of this way of saying there's a place for you in this melting pot, wink, wink, nudge, nudge of musical ideology um, just like there's a place for you in this melting pot that is America. And, and, and I think that is one of the reasons that it gets past the hurdle of, well, how is this going to fit? How is this going to fit in the American musical? Because this is not typically what the American musical does. Well, he finds a bridge for so many of us. I'm sure there are folks who, who listen to it and go, oh, I didn't, I didn't recognize that or that didn't necessarily resonate with me. But I, I bet you it's far less than it would have been had I written a rap musical about Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd see it. I'd see it. <laughs> he, he understands that bridge really well, and and it and it sustains us through. Not to mention that the big turn is that you know we start with these narrators, and, and specifically this this single narrator in Alan uh, Aaron Burr, and then in a really wise move, and I think it's a move that we don't see coming and a move that is really well-earned, he turns the story over to who really tells it, which is um, his wife, um, mm. which is Eliza. Uh, and she, she in the, if, the Ron Chernow book, obviously takes, is, is takes the center stage at the very beginning of the book. And here she doesn't really take center stage until the end of the book, where she fundamentally explains why this figure, tragic as he was, 
is not only important to the American story, but to to the to the lives of immigrants, to the lives of of children, um, and to our financial system and and where our you know our, our our nation's capital is and where our financial business is done. Where why the financial district in New York makes so much of a difference because all of this was set in motion by works that he did in this in the in the competitive part of his life. Mm. Um, you know, it seems to me that so many uh, musical idioms that are invented in the in like in the pop culture sphere make their way to Broadway pretty fast, but hip hop doesn't do that. Right. So can you explain to me why did it take so long for Broadway to recognize one that hip hop is a true art form and second of all, a really effective art form? What right. what causes that huge gap? Wow, that is, um, you know, and that's a kind of an interesting question, but I think I'm a kid of the eighties. I, I was a teenager in the eighties. And so I remember very much that there was this sort of stop gap. Um, typically pop culture music finds its way into, into, into the zeitgeist because kids decide to listen to it when their parents don't want to. Right. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and we had, we had that similar experience in the eighties where hip hop was taking, was taking a real hold in suburban households. The difficulty, and maybe the difference was, is that in addition to that, there was a whole country of people going, this is not just violent, it's dangerous to our children. You know, there was NWA, there was Public Enemy, all of this stuff is happening. Everything wasn't Will Smith and the, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So, you know, there was a real serious push among adults that said, this is dangerous. So much so that Tipper Gore sort of created the, the notorious, you know, parental discretion sticking sticker warnings on records. And so it took a back step in, mm. in how easily it was going to tr transfer to radio and music videos at the time. I don't even know if that's a thing that still exists, music videos. But, excuse me, but, but, but kids... Absolutely, excuse me. Um, but but kids lost a little bit of access to it. It became the Richard Pryor era uh, records of its era. It became mm. you have to listen to this clandestinely in order to really get a sense of what's happening. And now we're talking about something that wasn't being talked about in suburban households and about what's happening in in uh, urban communities and and you know police interaction with people of color all of this stuff was being discussed in these hip hop records. And therefore it was, it was sort of pick a side. I think that's part of why Broadway chose for so long to stay away from it. I don't think that Lin-Manuel Miranda was the first to sort of say it has a validity in our art form, but I think we needed a little bit of time to remove ourselves from that stigma, from that mm. fear that we were gonna bring, you know, violence into the theater that we're going to bring um a lack of forgive the phrase lack of culture which is absolutely incorrect but but the validity of the fear was there for a lot of producers for a lot of musicians for a lot of writers um and then the other thing that i think that happened is that while you know, thanks to Raising the Sun, we had integrated the writing process and the directing process for Broadway in plays, you know, in the 60s uh, and 50s, but we really hadn't done that 
in terms of the American musicals. There weren't a ton of musicals being written by people of color and bringing that unique perspective. So much of what happens in theaters, what happens now, unfortunately, is that we're, we want to train artists to be, I would love you to be an artist of color if you can be just like us. <laughs> like, like write yeah. a show that sounds like our shows and, and, and that'll be acceptable. Um, and so the, 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 the scattering, the smatterings that you get are dream girls because they already know R&B music. They already know that, okay, that's safe. We can talk about that. Um, we're not going to be bringing something that's going to fundamentally rock the boat. Um, and, and I think Lin-Manuel was able to successfully navigate that in, in the Heights because we all sort of went, what? It's going to be in Spanish. There's going to be lots of Latin music. How is that going to work? And he bridged that gap beautifully. So now mm. that he's got a chance to do this second project and bring a little bit more of it, of his culture and his experience to it, there's a little bit more of a, all right, we'll trust you. We'll see what happens. Um, and, and the violence that's in the show, interestingly enough, there is violence in Hamilton, but it's American violence. Mm. It's American violence being portrayed by people of color, which that's the funny thing. So much of what I hear about Hamilton or what I heard in that first couple of years is, I don't know, because George Washington wasn't a, wasn't a black person. George Washington wasn't, a, you know, he didn't look like this. And you kind of go, oh, you're missing the point so much, but that's okay. <laughs> well, we, we will get to that. Um, do you think that because, you know, everything that's successful always has imitators, which is a lot of what this book is about. Sure. Um, so my, my question is, is, do you think that hip hop is going to be the primary form of imitation when people try to imitate Hamilton later on? Or do you think there's another element of Hamilton that people are gonna gravitate towards and that's what they're, they're gonna imitate in their own projects? Yeah. I think hip hop has certainly been given, has been given license and room to make its way to Broadway. Um, I think that mixture of current R&B pop music is, 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 is now been freed up a little bit to work uh, in, in, in coexisting with a uh, Broadway libretto, um, much in the same way that I think rock music sort of got a, an entree mm -hmm. with Jesus Christ Superstar and then ultimately we end up with American Idiot and that kind of a show. Yeah. I don't think it'll be the sole thing. I think, this, I think, I think it'll be probably the big thing um, but I also think that there's going to be, there, there sort of already is this, this new way of thinking now that's happening in small, you know, enclaves within the community. But people are going, why does the character have to look like that? The whole idea of a play is to suspend our disbelief and to tell the, the, the story of this character with a more empathetic lens. So why can't 1776 have a diverse cast? Why can't we look at a, a production of Phantom or a production of Wicked that, that's not just a green girl, but an African-American girl or a Latina girl, um, a woman? I, I think that's going to be sort of what, what is going to be the long-living um, imitation, is that we can now see these shows with a little less restraint with a little less yeah and i was no i was gonna say do you think hamilton initiated that conversation or did you think or do you think something happened prior to that where like if you had to put it on a timeline where, where would you say that goes god 
I would say that it was a conversation that was happening for a really long time. It was happening, and, and, and by little bits and pieces, it's happened successfully. You know, Rent, when the producer sat down to do Rent originally, Tom Collins was not supposed to be a person of color. Um, but Jesse Martin walks into the room and they go, wait a minute, this might be the guy. So maybe we rethink the way we've written that role. Mm -hmm. And I think it's happened little bit by little bit by little bit. I think Hamilton gave it a major leap forward. And then when you jump forward into 2000, uh, 2020, you know, there was this level of activism that was meeting theater um, in a renewed in a renewed way, there was a renaissance of this level of activism. And, and, and we realized, or I think a lot of theater folks realized that we're not often, as much as our community feels more diverse, we're not often at the forefront of that because more often than not, what we're trying to do is reflect the life that is prevalent around us as opposed to setting the terms. Mm. And, and we in theater had to go, boy, we're big talkers, but we haven't really done much in the way of uh, setting the zeitgeist. We followed it. And so here now, I think we're seeing we're seeing where people are going, no, no, let's get ahead of that. What does Oklahoma look like? Why does this character need to be that? What do you mean she can't be in a wheelchair? What do you mean the leading player has to be a man? What do you mean? And so we start rethinking the way we've seen things time and time and time again. I think we we now are looking at, is there a more inclusive way to tell this story that opens up our empathy, that gets us to see these characters in a different light or gets them to realize that they're more than just one thing? Even with Hamilton, one of the sort of interesting takeaways for me when I first saw it was, boy, it's hard to separate Thomas Jefferson from Sally Hemings and from that legacy. But there's something to be said about the, the, the skill of his writing, the ability he had to sort of build and, and define the two-party system. Um, that character resonates with me in a different way that's not, outside, that's not outside of the history books, but works in concert with it. They're mm. humans, not just ah, this person equals racism or this person equals, you know, bigotry or this person, um, you know, is is sort of a one-trick pony. No, they're they're just like the rest of us. They're human, they're complex. Um, they live in a society that has rules and, and, and flaws and weaknesses and that's part of what we're made of. And it's not, it, that's not a thing that exists only in the past. We're not, we're not flawed in, in 1776 but thank god in 2022 we've got all of our problems solved no yeah <laughs> by no means whatsoever <laughs> not um, at all can you tell me a little bit about the origin of the hamilton musical the ron cherno book and all, all of that stuff yeah um my understanding of it from research and 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 and, and listening and sort of being uh, aware of the project lin-manuel was in the middle of doing in the heights he, in addition to writing the show, he played Usnavi, the, the bodega owner, and on a vacation, got a hold of the Ron Chernow autobiography, of oh, the biography of uh, Alexander Hamilton, and is re reading this picture, reading this book on the beach. In fact, I think he posted, because that's the language of our day, posted a picture of the book and the beach and sort of said, hey, enjoying some time out, um, but got fascinated with the story. And 
specifically the idea that this guy is this this character Alexander Hamilton, who again we know from the that got milk yes, commercial. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, we know from that, but but he figures out first of all, this guy's an immigrant. He comes to America with a lot of big ideas, and a lot of the folks around him are going, "Slow it down! You're 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 getting in over your skis." He he gets into these conflicts with major founding fathers, including um, Madison and Jefferson, and to a certain degree, because of rumors, even with George Washington. And so Lin-Manuel is like, so he's got beef with the other founding fathers. He's got this incredible gift of gab as a writer. He's extraordinarily uh, deft at, at taking language and making it understandable to the common man who doesn't have time to read um you know intricate intricate pages of of explanation which also i think he used to his, his to benefit because when he wanted things to be more complicated than it, than it needed to be he made them long so the common man wasn't reading them um and so he's hearing this lin-manuel is hearing this and reading this and thinking this feels like street culture it feels like you know how you get stuff done in the neighborhoods it's like this guy's got the gift of gab and he's a good writer and he's he's hip-hop and so this random idea comes to him where he's not even going to write a musical he's going to write a series of songs sort of a song cycle called the hamilton mixtape and most to my understanding most of the people who come into contact with the idea early on sort of go what <laughs> that's ridiculous that doesn't make any sense and nobody's going to listen to it and we don't find history interesting you know, it's sort of like doing a like who's going to do a television show about the West Wing of the, the White House? That's ridiculous. Nobody's going to watch that, um, except for if you put it in the hands of the right writer and they find a way to humanize them and to take our our contract as an audience and say, suspend your disbelief. Let us entertain you while we're also giving you a different perspective of the way they think. So they're working on this. He's working on this album some of which takes, you know, two years. And this is just working on the first act, um, working on, you know, kind of the first portion of the book, as it were. Um, you know, my shot takes him forever to write. He, he literally is trying to figure out how do you take somebody whose very gift is the fact that they are more vocally dexterous than and, and lyrically dexterous than, than the people around them, and communicate that without putting a sign up that says, I don't know if you noticed this, but these guys use really simple lyrics and this guy really is really complicated. But he's, so he's writing internal rhymes and he's writing these long uh, art narrative rhyme schemes against sort of 1980s, I'm the best in the world, well, what you gonna do? That kind of a flow. Um, and, and giving these characters a chance to go, whoa, has everybody heard this guy? This guy's something special. We need to get this dude up in front of a crowd. And so when he's writing the kind of earlier expositional stuff, he's finding that the flow of the musical actually really works. The storytelling really works. Mm. And he thinks, what if I could get the rest of this stuff in? Because people don't know that his wife, that he and his wife really went in hard on, on serving orphans. They don't know that they lost a child in a duel. They don't know that he essentially has an affair and instead of making it private or saying, I have no comment, he goes the opposite way and tells it all to the public 
and it destroys their marriage essentially um uh, and that that marriage that destruction of that marriage is exacerbated when his son is killed in the duel because he has a hot temper the son has a hot temper there is there is speculation that he encouraged the boy to go to the duel i don't know if the the, the, the that it was clear that he encouraged the boy to duel but mm. um but that he didn't encourage the boy to go to the duel and try to talk it out with his enemy and the boy was killed um so there's all this sort of historical uh, framework that can be delivered in a narrative and obviously to make a two two and a half hour musical you're gonna have to adjust and fix facts to make them sort of serve your your intent but now he's got this first act sort of framework that says i think the whole show can work um and then you add to that you start getting young producers like jeffrey seller who was an original producer on rent who says yeah I'd be curious to see what you do in the Heights was this big deal. Why not just support the guy and see where he lands? Um, you add Tommy Kale to the mix. You add Andy Blankenbuehler, the incredible choreographer, who, again, takes this idea of, no, choreography is not separate from the narrative. It's informing the narrative. It becomes part of the staging. Um, you surround yourself with, with a list of talent who basically follows the show from inception or from conception to to Broadway opening night, in including you know Davi Diggs and people like Leslie Odom Jr. and Christopher Jackson, and they've got this extraordinary thing that's building. Meanwhile, you add this unprecedented element in that he is invited to the White House to do a piece of poetry, and. And he says, well, if there's ever been a place to see if you can float the idea of a musical about a politician, it's the White House. And they really had no idea, as I understand it, they had no idea what the response was going to be. But from the moment he said, I'm going to I'm going to do a musical about a, a person who is at the core of the hip hop and it's Alexander Hamilton and the audience responds sort of like, uh, no, that's not right. <laughs> and then he delivers the song and has the entire audience with him in this journey instead of going, wow, that's real. That's true. That's what happened. And if you put it in that framework, it does start to sound a little bit like street culture and hip hop. Now he's just got to finish it because mm. there's no way to not take that story that's gotten that kind of response that like gets that level of, of internet interest because I mean, I don't know how many of us even knew that the White House had an arts and poetry yeah. <laughs> thing yes. until that happened, right? But now we're all listening to this opening number and going, what could that musical be? And then about two years later, we find out. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Mm. Um, why do you think that, you know, it, there's, there's been lots of successful shows in, in Broadway history, but this is a show in which it seems like everybody in the world seems to know it. An entire creative team was awarded the Kennedy Center honor 
Right. When does that? Oh, and they're all young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a list of people that I think are on their way out that haven't <laughs> received the award. But all these young, but these young guys are bestow- Why? 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 Is there something in the culture? Is there something happening politically in the world that's 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 helping this show along? What's well, going I, on? I, I, I think I think you're I think you're you're right in, in the idea that there's something in the culture, there's something in the water, there's something in the time. Like we feel the need to move our collective story forward faster. Um, and, and to some degree, I think that's really beneficial. And some degrees, I think sometimes we better, you know, pump the brakes and just sort of see where we are. Because I think we know we've seen this activism that is George Floyd and, and, and police interaction. We've seen this activism that is, wait a minute, our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters need our support. Um, we have to we have to speak out about making our world right, right, particularly our younger generation. They're seeing it there, um, and they almost. There are times when they're almost so far ahead that the rest of the nation can't catch up, and then we're actually actually sort of working in a bubble that's unique to arts and entertainment. Sometimes I think that's great. Sometimes I think it's 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 worth taking a moment to try to bring other folks along. It's again that you must take the A train. It's okay for you to come with us and not to be afraid that we're going to lose you um, in translation. I, I think we see with this show and we saw with this show that there are new ways of telling old stories and that they don't become they don't become less valid in their origins, but more accessible. And anytime we can find a way right now to make things more accessible. I think we're on that. We're on, we're in interested. We're invested in that idea. I, I hope that what happens is we also keep in mind that making something accessible doesn't just mean making it accessible to folks who are always or often marginalized. Yes, we want to absolutely bring those folks in, but the goal is not to do a different form of isolation. So now all the marginalized people are on this train and everybody else gets left out. No, the mm -hmm. goal is to put everybody in the room together and have them nodding their heads and going, oh no, that happened to Hamilton. And when that happens, we start to see ourselves collectively as a we. It's our story. This is an American story. And it doesn't matter if the actor portraying George Washington looks like Jerome or looks like Robert. It matters that we find a little bit of ourselves and a little bit of our personal journey in that story and we can share in it and want um, the success of our nation to, to be built on the us factor, the we factor, as opposed to you guys over there, we over here. And I think that that's what it's meeting is this moment where people are looking, they're looking to not erase but certainly build a bridge that's a little bit stronger and build it a little bit faster. Mm. Hamilton I, did that in a way that nothing else had, I think. You know, and it's for me, and I know this is, this is your area of expertise, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but I find it so interesting. I also feel that Hamilton is probably one of the first musicals to be democratized, if that makes sense. Um, because what, what I mean by that is, is, you know, it's so expensive to go see a Broadway show and Hamilton the ticket prices were you know <laughs> ex extraordinary you had to yeah. you know do anything possible to get in 
But the fact that if you listen to the cast recording, and yes, you'll miss the visuals, brilliance of Tommy Kale and Andy Blankenbuehler, you still get the whole show right. by listening to it. And the fact that it was given out on Disney Plus um, and that way, so I, what I find so interesting about it is even if you could not afford to get in to see it live, it's being offered to you in so many different ways. I don't know wow. if that's something you would agree or disagree with. I just find that really fascinating. That, that might would, just be a tangential point. Sure. <laughs> I absolutely agree with you. Um, and, and it's not something that, that I'd really put a lot of thought in, but, you know, interestingly enough, my wife and I talked about that once um, because the idea of, because it's available to us in other mediums doesn't mean that, that we're going to stop seeing it. If Hamilton comes through tomorrow, I'm probably going to get tickets. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because there's something unique about being in the room and having that shared human experience with an audience and, 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 and with an audience that would never, that I would never find myself bobbing my head to, you know, the Ten Dual Commandments or whatever it is. But, and yet it's happening. It's happening right there in the room. It's the room where it happens, right? Um, there are, there are people of color sitting in an audience. There are people with, 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 with limited uh, socioeconomic means. There are, there are a diverse gathering of individuals all sharing a story together. And if we can share a story and share our sense of, oh gosh, that breaks my heart that, that when she does the burn song, it breaks my heart to watch him struggle with this affair you know, he, he he desperately doesn't want to. And yet, oh, no, now they think they've got him when they go back in the room and says, we, we've got all the information about your accounts. There's something really unique about sharing an experience like that with an audience. It doesn't mean I don't turn it on on Disney Plus every time I come across it and go, well, I've got a couple of hours. Why not watch it? Again? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, because there's more to unpack. There's more to. And I think you're right. I think and I hope that's another thing that gets taken away from Hamilton is that making it exclusive, that sort of idea of, well, I'm in the exclusive IFC a Broadway show club, isn't as big a deal as I'm in the exclusive, we've seen the show together and we've all responded to it mm -hmm. and I've had our hearts and, and, and stories moved by the experience together. So no, I think you're right. I think then Democratize is a good way of putting that. Um, it belongs to a little bit of all of the people. You know, this is something that I know a lot of my students struggle with. And, and one of the things that we talk about is the question I'm going to ask you, is it a student's responsibility to explain this? And, you know, a lot of one of the criticisms I've heard about Hamilton is what you mentioned very early on, which is, you know, George Washington didn't look like this or, or you know, Alexander Hamilton didn't look like that. Um, and a lot of students want to look at those people and go, it doesn't matter. How do you explain to people that if that's what you're focused on, you're kind of missing the point of the show? Mm. Or do you just not even begin to pick that battle? Boy, you're an educator, so I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure students come to you all the time. with <laughs> how, how, do, how do we handle this, Professor Stevenson? And is it something that we even need to worry about handling? one of the things we talk about in that class, and I'm glad that you said it happens a lot for you because it certainly happens a lot for me. In my classes, we talk a lot about that everybody's not at the same place in their journey, right? And that's okay. That is an okay thing. The worst thing I think you can do then is to say, you're not where you need to be. You're not where I am, catch up. Mm, mm. You know, like 
for those of us who were on board with this thing when it happened, and I certainly have a different stake in it than, than, than some others, because yeah, I want to have a choice chance to play George Washington, or I want to have a, ch- yeah. I want to have a chance to students that look like me to play Alexander Hamilton. Um, that's great for me. That's where I am in my journey. Um, I know that that doesn't limit my ability to fully invest in a play. I don't get lost in the idea that, oh, George Washington doesn't look like that, and therefore I can't follow this narrative. No, I, I'm, 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 I'm looking at it through the lens of this individual playing it, this director uh, shaping the story, this writer, and they're going to help me see it in a way that I hadn't seen it before. I hope that not only do I recognize the shade of the person, but I recognize the influence of their experience and their culture in, in, in building empathy towards this figure. Um, but there are people who are not there yet. There are people who, who for them, plays still need to be, the family has to look the same. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, I'm not ready to give up what I'm familiar with. But part of the, the beauty of being an audience of art is that you very quickly learn that no, I don't only want to give it up. I want to release myself to a brand new experience because that's what pulls me forward in my journey. Um, but I think the combativeness of if you don't get there today, then you can't be an ally. Or if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't understand it the way I understand it, then why am I even talking to you? It's sort of the, the, the Facebook equivalent has become, I think this, I'll fight you. Yeah. <laughs> like if you don't agree it's sort of like no i think this that should be the end of it that's fine that's your opinion it, it in and of itself explains that it's what you think it's what you it's your opinion it doesn't make it a fact but it also opens up a discussion to say well why do you think that or uh, share with me how you got there or whatever that is because that's what the process should be we don't and we don't do that anywhere else in theater we don't watch a we don't watch a production of of death of a salesman and go well you have to you have to understand this that and the other and that's why he's so tragic to me well i don't have to understand that i understand it from this perspective and that's why it's so tragic to me i i understand it because i grew up in a generation where there were door-to-door salesmen i I didn't but uh um at least i don't remember them but but i do understand that sense of planned obsolescence And so when I think, boy, you know, you think about all of the things that existed in my youth that simply don't exist now, that simply aren't the way we operate now. And as much as I'm saddened by that piece of my personal history going away, I understand it, but it also makes me have empathy for Willie Loman in a way that I might not have had it or lens that let me into that show. That's unique to me. It's my experience. So I think you're right in that there is a lot of that sort of pushback from more often than not a generational audience um, uh, or or a very privileged audience that's used to walking into an audience, a theater and saying, everybody looks like me, I'm comfortable. Mm. But, but it's interesting too. It's interesting too, because it happens all across the zeitgeist and it's not just with older folks. It's, it's Star Wars. It's, no, no, Star Wars is about a young guy and he's going on his journey and that's Luke Skywalker. The new ones are all about this girl and I don't know how that's going. It's like, well, join the, join the party. Yeah, 
that's where it, the, the story has advanced to. You have to catch up to where we are in our journey, but that's the reality. Do you think that future productions of Hamilton, because eventually it'll get licensed to you know community sure. theaters and educational theaters, is it okay to say, all right, our Aaron Burr is going to be Latinx and our Alexander Hamilton's going to be a female to go against what was done with the original casting, if that mm. makes sense. Sure. Is that, is that, yeah, that'll be okay. People won't go, what are you doing? Yeah, that'll be, that's an interesting question. You know, my feeling about any of that stuff is always what, what is the best way for us to tell this story and not pull the audience out of the play in order to understand what we're doing. So, you know, um, there are places where I've got questions as a, as a director where I would say, okay, uh, Eliza and Hamilton have this baby and, and this is where we are historically. And, and, and so what best creates an environment there? Um, there's also something really beautiful about, you know, telling the story of progression of, of, this is all about Alexander Hamilton, who's not even a citizen of the United States when he first arrives. And, and Eliza gets pushed to the background and then bringing her forward to the foreground has such an, a revolutionary spin on mm. it. Does that mean that Alexander Hamilton can't be played by a woman? Absolutely not. But it means we have to be con conscious of how do we tell this story to the audience in a way that they can follow it if they suspend their disbelief to include X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And that is open to whatever interpretation they have, as long as they remember, or at least I think, I think as long as the audience remembers that ultimately this isn't about serving us, it's about serving the audience. Mm -hmm. It is an act of service, so. Oh, that's, can you say that one more time, please? Because yeah. I think that's such a great takeaway. Theater is an act of service, man. I mean, it, we're doing it for, we're doing it to share the human experience with an audience, um, but it has to be about them first. And and so I think that's another reason why it's done. Hamilton was done originally the way it was. What greater piece of service than to say to the audience, no matter where they sit in the, in the spectrum, that this country belongs to us. It belongs to all of us. It's a shared experience. And speaking of belonging to all of us, Hamilton is one of these shows where it came out, it was incredibly highly praised right from the get-go, specifically, or, or, as, or I should say, as one of the many elements it was praised for the diversity of its casting. Um, and then within a couple of years, it sort of became highly criticized for the, the lack of inclusion of, of, of Black characters within the narrative, not actors, right. but characters right. within the narrative. Can you talk a little bit about that and why did it take a while for that issue to arise? Hmm, yes. I, <laughs> wow, I'm just trying to see how to say this without. You say whatever you want. <laughs> you say whatever you want. Well, I'm gonna liken it, liken it to other scenarios as we talk about this. Love it. But one of the things that happened, I think for me, is that they were addressing a singular issue. They were like, why aren't the people in plays representative of the people who are our country today, who are our audience? And so that became the issue. But, but he was still telling the story of Alexander Hamilton and trying to find a two, two and a half hour way to do it. 
And a lot of those figures are white men, right? Um, but but the answer to that question was, well, we don't have to cast them as white. Well, you jump forward. The show's hugely successful. People pick up on that element of casting immediately. Wow, all these diverse folks are in the in the cast. But as always, there is a we're not moving fast enough towards whatever the goal is. And I don't know that that's an understood universal goal. It is the goal of individuals. And so in addition to praising it for its success, we also start to find places where it's flawed. Well, it's a singular entity, right? Like it, it, It's only one show about one thing, one moment in time. And so addressing all of those issues in the one singular event while we understand that this hasn't been addressed, I'm not sure that it, it needs to be responsible for solving every social mm. ill at once. It's sort of the akin to in the Heights, the film, um, which is why I said I would relate it to something else. Um, yeah. in, in the film, Lin-Manuel, when, when Lin-Manuel wrote the musical, he was writing a show because he hadn't seen himself in very many musicals um, and wanted to write a show about his neighborhood, Washington Heights. Well, fast forward, to the release of the film, which like it, love it, hate it, whatever you want is fine. Then the criticism becomes, well, there are not enough dark-complected Latinos. Um, there are not enough dark-complected folks. And it's a, it's a criticism that I think was taken very seriously, but I think it addressed a single issue at a single moment, um, not every issue at every moment. Um, and I think that's part of why it's taken so long for that, that well, why it took so long originally for that to come forward because people, instead of saying, let's celebrate the success of Hamilton in this particular way and build on it, we now want to hold Lin-Manuel responsible for fixing all the ills rather than I want this to propel us into doing shows that have more of these people in it. And if we, if it's okay for us to do George Washington this way, then why can't we tell a story about George Washington's slaves or freemen of the time? Would that be a story that would resonate with us? At first, we didn't think we'd be interested in a story about Alexander Hamilton. And now that says that's false if you create it in an entertaining way. So what's next? What other story can we include? But I, I wonder if it's a mistake to hold the single writer responsible for solving every social ill rather than uh, pulling up our sleeves and saying, all right, I wanna build on that. When an audience member sees Hamilton and they leave, what do you think the author's intention is? What do they want the audience to leave with? Is there a message? Is there an idea? Is there um, a hope that you'll appreciate something that maybe you didn't appreciate before? What do you think the send-off message is? Yeah, um, I think it's hard to deny that it's about a it's about a, a unlikely success story. Um, you know, we start with this: How does a bastard orphan, son of a whore, and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot? in the Caribbean by Providence, impoverished and squalor, grew up to be a hero and a scholar. This idea that this guy is, is the marginalized, even if, he's, if he doesn't look like Lin-Manuel, he's still 
from a Caribbean nation. He's still from this, you know, he's still from a, an island nation. He He's still been brought here by the donations of citizens. He doesn't have their access to money and power, and yet he finds a way to absolutely change the course of the America. That That's hard to deny. That's right up front. And if we watch it, particularly when we watch it looking at Lin-Manuel Miranda in the role, we go, if we can do that, why can't I do that? Why can't I have that sort of impact on the world around me? Not going to be easy. Um, but, but so that idea of you can change the world. But also, mm -hmm. I think there's something really beautiful about the complexity of the person who does that. Uh, Hamilton is flawed as a character in the show. And, and, and we acknowledge that. But as my mom would say, a broke clock is right twice a day. <laughs> you know? Uh, oh. you, you, yeah, you don't, you don't write off the contribution he makes because of the flaws he has. Because the truth of the matter is we all have flaws. That's what humanity is about. And if we can get past our ability to judge people for their humanity which we share then then we open up a whole plethora of possibilities um, we open up this this idea that even while we're screwing up we can be making a, a positive impact we can be making a difference we can write a financial system and still be uh, unfaithful we can get involved in something as stupid as a duel but then um, then write something as complex as the American financial system. Now, maybe for us individually, we won't have those, those uh, lofty uh, aspirations, but even the little contributions that we make in our lives can be made through flawed individuals. Um, and I think that's ultimately the, the, the thing I take away from it. I think, I hope that people find a myriad more of, of, of wonderful takeaways, but that's, that's certainly on the top of the list of mine. Oh, Professor Stevenson, thank you so much for joining us today. Jerome, thank you so much ah, for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, it was I worth the wait. Being here. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. Friends, please make sure to purchase a copy of 50 Key Stage Musicals by visiting Routledge.com or by clicking in today's show description. If you want to learn more about Hamilton, please also review the links in the below description. I'm Robert W. Schneider, and thank you for listening to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.